Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com with over 20 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP3. This week on TWIP, an in-depth discussion about photographers and the law, plus an interview with Sarah Colleton. It's Wednesday, March 13th, 2013, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we're going to be diving to some uh, some pretty interesting stories. We're going to be talking about photographers and the law from a different angle that you may not have thought about. We've we've been talking about photographers having run-ins with the law on several trips in the past, but I think this today is is pretty timely and pretty interesting. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, uh, not to be too mysterious. We're going to talk about Facebook's facelift, the new feed that they installed, and if uh, the panel cares about that and they're avid Facebook users. We're going to talk a little bit about retail and uh, in a surprise interview with a guest that I will announce just before I uh, we jump into the interview segment. So joining me to discuss these topics and more are Mr. Martin Bailey and Mr. Don Komarechka. Hey, guys. Hello, Frederick. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning. Good, yeah, I think it's evening for you, right? What time is it over there? Oh, no, it's um, it's uh, 10 a.m. for me now here in Tokyo, so oh, okay. I'm just getting started on my day. Good, good. This is like the perfect time for you then. It's just it is, like, it's, it's brilliant. You got your coffee, you got your morning coffee ready? Yeah, I got my morning coffee, fixed a Google Plus events problem and <laughs> all sorts. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome. We got lots of catching up to do. We, you and I, literally have not spoken since you hosted this week in photo for me. So we can absolutely we can catch up on that and uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And Don yeah. Komarechka, what are you what are you up to? What's uh, what's going on in your world? Oh, keeping so busy these days. I uh, shot some uh, ski races earlier today. Some eight and nine year olds that were coming down the hill in one of their first competitions. And uh, a colleague of mine does a lot of that stuff and was double booked. So I got sort of thrown into the fray in a new environment. And, uh, and that was a lot of oh, fun. Oh, no. Big uh, things, not little things. No, no. So <laughs> Big totally, moving uh, things. <laughs> out of my element, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm looking outside right now and I'm seeing all the, the wonderful snowflakes falling in one of the last snowfalls of the season right now. So, Uh-oh. Sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no worries. No worries. I've got enough to put the book together right now anyhow. So I'm happy about that. Cool. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So the you're I, I alluded to this on the last show. So you are putting together this book, the Snowflake book, which is kind of a pictorial of these snowflakes that you've been putting on Google Plus, but it's also a tutorial on how to do it. Right? Explain what it is. What exactly is this book? 
Well, it's more than just a photo book. Uh, I mean, of course, the images will be front and center, uh, but the photographic techniques involved in taking them, which I've you know discussed online, but it's always better to have it in print. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of really interesting science and physics and sort of understanding how these things form and why and, and to delve deeply into that because uh, it's all documented in the photographs and it's kind of neat to explore uh, what I can photograph and then see, okay, well, what's the underlying science behind it? And I think that's fascinating. Um, there's also a lot of uh, sort of psychology and philosophy as to, you know, why do we find snowflakes beautiful? Nature doesn't make them beautiful for us. So what, what's the deal there? And there's all sorts of different facets to explore. Um, so I'm publishing it in a book. And uh, publishing a book is expensive. Uh, so I am trying to crowdsource you're self, funding on You're self-publishing, just to be clear. Yes, yeah. exactly. Self-publishing a book is, uh, well, I mean, there are services all over the place now, Blurb and other, uh, other things where you can order a, a book. But if you're trying to produce like a 300-page book the size that I am, it would cost, I think, just under $200 a copy if I were to run it through Blurb, which is ridiculous. Uh, mm-hmm. And the quality wouldn't be nearly as good because it wouldn't be offset printed and all of that. So yeah. um, I'm going directly to, uh, I, I've, I've talked to a number of printers, I've got quotes, and the best ones come in um, that require me to have a sizable amount of money that I can't foot by myself. Uh, so I've, I've gone to the community to help gather those funds. And I think it's $35 for a copy of the book. And, uh, and then you support the actual production. It's like a Kickstarter thing, except uh, Kickstarter isn't friendly to Canadians. You've got to have a U.S. bank account uh, for uh, Kickstarter. I think I the U.S. and U.K. Uh, yeah, that. so... Uh, yeah, they're not open to everybody. So I'm using Indiegogo as the funding source. And uh, if it doesn't, if the goal is not met, then uh, I go cry in a corner and you keep your money. And uh, and that will allow me, uh, if, it, if, it, if it is met, then I can go and... Uh, how, how are you doing so far? How close uh, are you going? We're like at uh, 37 or 38% right now of the funding goal. Okay. Uh, okay. So we're somewhere between five and 6,000 of the 15,000 required. Okay. And, uh, and we're, we're sort of ahead of schedule right now. I hope the momentum keeps up. And, uh, and for 35 bucks, a 300-page hardcover book is, is quite the steal if you get in on the Kickstarters or the, uh, the Indiegogo campaign. So, so done, done marketing-wise, never say you're ahead of schedule. You probably want to, you want to position that as... We've almost got it. We can still use your help. <laughs> we well, need no, your help, community. Is, it, it is slowing down because I've, uh, I've, I've pushed all of my friends and family into joining in on this thing. Yeah. And, uh, and now that that's done, it's sort of sitting and waiting and hoping that everybody else can come in and pitch in the rest of it. Very so, good. I, you know what I predict? I, I want to I predict, and we'll put the link to you to, the, to donate in the show notes for this episode. Um, or they can just go to your, your site, right? What's your, yeah, what's it's, your site? It's linked everywhere. Uh, doncom.ca. Uh, and you'll find it right in the front banner there. Okay, so here's my prediction. Because I think, as far as I know, you are the premier expert in snowflakes. I predict a Discovery Channel show or a special or something on the magic of snowflakes with Don Komarechka. You know, <laughs> I can oh, see that it. Be fun. That would be awesome. You could you could talk about snowflakes for an hour, couldn't you? With images. Uh, and- well, they'd, they'd have to stop me at an hour, I think. <laughs> Cool. All right, I'm putting it out there. You you heard it here first. All right, and also, all right, Martin Bailey. We we have you and I haven't spoken like I said since you were gracious enough to jump in and host this crazy podcast when I was away. So first of all, thank you for that. I thank you through email, of course, but thank you for for taking time taking the time to be beat up and do that for me. Yeah, <laughs> not at all. It was a lot. Of, it was a lot of fun. It was. Yeah. Uh, I try. I tried to do the voice, but I I wasn't very good at it. 
<laughs> what what was the voice? This well, voice? No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I actually didn't try because I knew I'd make a mess of it. But it's yeah. You know, I was. I wanted to do the cool Frederick voice, but it's, oh please, it's not in me. Your your deep, you know, Queen's English accent is much better than mine. <laughs> oh no no no. I was gonna. I'm gonna have you record off with his head, and I'm gonna put that in my uh, in my ringtones or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's the weird thing because like Brits often think that the you know the U.S. accent's really cool, and then you guys think that ours is cool, and it's like I think it's that grass is greener sort of concept. Yeah. Really, really, I don't know. I, I gotta I gotta argue that because I think between you guys and Australians, you guys have it because. <laughs> <laughs> you got—I don't know—that's like a superpower when you when you're dating. I think in the United States because you can come here and just lay that lay those sultry Martin Bailey tones down, and you know, <laughs> women will be buying you drinks. You know, whereas the American over here is like, hi, hi. <laughs> Everything yeah. you say, Martin, just sounds more important. It does. It does. It sounds official. Well, that's thanks to the BBC. It's nothing to do with the accent. Yeah, well, it I is, don't but I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> you wear you wear it well. So, Martin, what's going on in your world? So, you uh, you you mentioned that you've been traveling with David Dushman and this Winter Wonderland tour. Give us an update. What's going on in the, in your world? Yeah, well, in in February we did um, we did two Winter Winter Wonderland tours this year. It's basically the Snow Monkeys and Hokkaido tours that I do every year. Um, but this year, on the first one, we had Chris Marquardt with us. We did it oh, half yeah. German, half English. So we had a, we had a whole bunch of German guys on the bus with us, and Everything took twice as long to explain because I'd explain it and then Chris would translate. But right. it went down really well. And I think both groups kind of enjoyed it. And we had a lot of camaraderie. And so uh, that went really well. And then uh, I've just literally a week ago got back from the second tour. And we had on there, we, no, there were no, um, there wasn't a German element or anything like that. It was just a normal sort of English-based tour. But we had uh, David Dushman as a special guest. And that was just a, a total scream. We... We we didn't stop laughing the whole time, and partly because you know David's just well. I mean, he, he's he was a, a comedian for a while, yes, but yes, he was for a long for a long time. But um, he's just such a fun guy to be around, and so it was a lot of fun. Isn't that um, a great combination? Uh, a photographer slash comedian. I mean, that's just oh yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, his ability to tell a story as well. We, yeah. uh, I mean, he he was kind enough to say that he learned a lot from me on the tour. Um, but I, you know, I learned so much from him as well, just watching him work. And we work in similar ways in, in a lot of the time. But the, the way he sort of builds a story out of, as, he, um, as he sort of gradually starts off shooting from one angle, then he'll see something else and he'll move around. And, and you know, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to say that people have said similar, to me, similar about me. But just watching David was a lot of – it was a big education and uh, – you know, so I'm I'm happy to. And one person yesterday, I've put a bunch of images on Google Plus, and one person said that that one of the images was very David Dutchman, and and I, you know, compared to my other my normal style, and so we were obviously feeding off of each other. Um, and and I literally, when I picked it, I picked it because of something that David had showed me of his from a, a few a few days earlier. Right. So there was a lot of feeding off each other creative creatively, but the group had a great time. You know. Obviously, I'd like to think that they always have a good time on the tours, but with David there, it was just a little bit different. And, you know, he he just, every so often, the, the thing that made me laugh so much was every so often he'd look over and something a little bit weird would have happened and look over and he'd just, he'd just sort of nod his head a couple of the times. And then he'd, he'd, do, he'd do this weird sort of bounce, chicka, bounce, bounce. And we'd, we'd be literally just, just bouncing off each other all the time. It was so funny. 
That's cool. See, that's another show. Eh? That's a Comedy Central show. I feel coming on. Right there. <laughs> so we got the Discovery Channel and Comedy Central covers. <laughs> that's great. So, uh, so you've got some tours coming up as well, right? Some 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 events that people can book now. Well, yeah. There's. Uh, I've actually uh, the Iceland tour in August. Um, I'm going to Africa in May, but that's um, with someone else, and that's already booked up. Oh, okay. And I, I'm going to Iceland in August, end of August until sep- through into September, and we've got one slot left there. Um, but I've also just released details of of the two tours for Hokkaido, the Winter Wonderland tours next February, um, and they're both linked from MVPWorkshops.com if anyone's interested in taking a look. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're they're already selling pretty well. There was I was amazed. I I hadn't even told anyone that I'd updated the page yet, and I had four bookings. So oh, that's great. Yeah, uh, yeah, things are going pretty well. That's great. Well, good. Well, you don't need the Twip audience in there. <laughs> oh no, absolutely. If anyone's interested, it's stopped again now. I'm I'm getting worried again now. It's, it's like oh, yes, and then all of a sudden it stops for a few days, and you get all anxious. So great. Well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Thanks. Okay, uh, just a quick note. Um, we are approaching episode number 300 for This Week in Photo. you believe that? I know, yeah. Martin, you're at like episode 900 on your show, right? <laughs> no, <it's> 360-something. <laughs> okay, well, you got us. But we're, 300 is a milestone for us, so I think we're going to... That's a big one. We're going to try to plan some surprises. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do, but one of the things that we're going to be introducing is a new feature called Critique of the Week, um, where the people that contribute into This Week in Photo, Google Plus community, and put photos up there, they can, uh, you know, we will pick one, or maybe or maybe two or three, and talk about them on the panel from a no-holds-barred, we're not trying to make you feel good perspective. We're gonna, we're, the idea is to not be mean, but to be truthful and honest about how this photo is great, or how it could be improved. So, and we're going to be doing. We're going to be kicking that off with episode 300, so week after next. So it should be exciting. All right, guys, let's jump into the news. This first story that I want to talk about. It's the feature story. We may not get to anything else. I'm thinking, <laughs> but so uh, let's let's just dive in. You guys have read this. Let me read the what's in the show notes here, so I can set the stage. So uh, Elaine, I'm going to I'm going to butcher this last name. Uh, Huguinen? Huguinen? Am I pronouncing that right, Martin? That, that sounds good to me. Huguinen. Elaine Huguinen of Elaine Photography in New Mexico. She's been battling a descript- battling discrimination charges for the last couple of years in a case about basically whether she could legally refuse to photograph a lesbian's commitment ceremony solely based on her religious convictions. So basically she lost. Right, so the photographer was paid was forced to pay sixty six hundred dollars to the couple, and the New Mexico Supreme Court, uh, it's on it's on appeal in New Mexico Supreme Court. But the basis of this, what we're going to talk about today, is where we fall on that. So basically, this photographer, whether you whether you're against gay rights or or for them or gay marriage or for them, whatever, can a photographer say? Basically, I don't want to shoot this this event or this wedding or this ceremony because I don't feel like it based on this. If they if if you hang out a shingle that says you do this kind of work, so this is this is really interesting and really scary. This is this wasn't the first story kind of in this vein. So lots of these kind of things have been happening. So Don Kamarska, I want to throw it to you first. So you've read the story and. 
you know the basis of it. Where do you fall on this? If, if you're a photographer and like you're shooting the races and you decide, you know what, for my religious, you, they, you know, my religious reasons, I decide I don't, I don't want to shoot this. Can you be compelled to shoot it or else pay money to in, you know, in compensation? Well, as as a Canadian, I think the laws are a little bit different. But yeah. um, I think this is but a morally, thing. but morally, no, no, you no, know? But exactly. And here's the thing: is uh, if I was uh, just to say an average Joe retailer, and a lesbian couple walks into my store, can I refuse to sell something to them? Well, mm-hmm. no, at least morally not, um, no matter what I believe. And if I'm a print shop and say uh, I'm a uh, a devout Catholic. And somebody comes in because there's a new mosque opening around the corner and they're printing up flyers and they're asking me to print them. Well, can I refuse to print those? Well, probably not. But these things are, they they have no art in them. They have no um, presence of the person that would be contributing to it. And so if I was, um, if if I was a, uh, a, a Christian and I'm a songwriter and somebody comes up to me and they want me to write a song about Allah and they want me to sing the praises of another God in this particular song that they're contracting me to write, can I refuse that? I think that I can, uh, and and as a photographer, being another type of artist, you know, having uh, their own uh, perspective, their own feelings, their own uh, connection to their art and and their subject, and I, I think that yes, morally, uh, they're allowed to to refuse to do work that doesn't align with their artistic style and their beliefs. I like the, I like the music example because that's that's really clear. Yeah, because if you're you're a devout Christian and you someone. You're a musician, and someone says, "Hey, I want to hire you to do something that's outside of your faith or or antithetical to your faith." You can say no, and you should say no to that. But this, and that's art, right? So that you're creating art on the audio side of it, but this is visual. You're still creating data, right? So mm-hmm. this, how could how could the New Mexico Supreme Court say, Martin, you weigh in on this? How could the how could the Supreme Court weigh in and say, you know, photographer? You're that's bad. You know, were, were they doing this? Do you think they were doing this? Were they thinking when they're when they're doing this, or they're just trying to say, well, we don't want to set a dangerous precedent where photographers that are anti-gay across the state could start denying couples photography services, and then we have another problem. So therefore, mm. I'm going to make this one. I'm going to punish this photographer in hopes of stemming something that may happen in the future. I don't know. I'm reaching. I have no idea why they would do that. No, I I think that that's probably a lot to do with it. I whether whether you're uncomfortable because of religious reasons or, I mean, I personally, if I felt uncomfortable with anything, if I don't, for example, if I, if someone asked me to do a job that I'm not 100% bought into, and I say yes and do it for the money, I'm not going to do the best as a, as an artist. I'm not going to create the best work that I possibly can for that person yeah, anyway. Right. They're, mu- they're much better off just finding someone that is, you know, I mean, you'd probably be hard pushed to, to find, maybe not in this world, but uh, to find someone that is like, I, I am a, a, I don't know, a, a gay um, photographer. I'm, I'm going to be photographing gay couples. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure that hap- happens. And I mean, I've, I've got nothing against anyone, religiously, sexual bias, you know, what anything to do with it, with, uh, there's, there's not a really a prejudice bone in my body. So I, right. I'm not right. coming at this from any of that. But, uh, you know, if you don't feel 100% comfortable with the work that you're taking, you're not going to do your best work anyway. Right. Um, and that kind of comes down to, to what Don's saying, you know, the, it's, it, with, it, with art, 
you've got to be fully invested in it and not and if even if you're doing it just for the money which is which can obviously happen you you need to be able to at least produce a product that that person is going to be happy with and i don't understand i don't believe that there's any way you could turn around and so if you were sort of doing it under duress you didn't want to make the photographs you're not going to push it you're not going to be creative you're just going to snap and and throw throw it on you know a, a cd or a dvd or something send the images over and they're not going to be happy with them anyway um yeah, and the other thing that that pops into my head is on the on the couple side why on earth would you even why would you want somebody that expressed any kind of reservation about photographing this mm. important event why would mm. you even want them within the same zip code with you during your exactly. event i was like exactly. if i was if, if i'm getting married and some some photographer said you know i don't like to shoot black people you know mm. do you think i'm going to sue him and force him to shoot my <laughs> to no, shoot I, my wedding i'm going to be like no yeah, okay great you know <laughs> i would but um no i think that that probably is part of it though it's like the uh the the person that the people the couple that were refused probably were just you know not happy they they'd they'd been upset in some way and they just decided that they they were going to try to go for this person mm -hmm. just so that they could could get it maybe it's a bit of vengeance you know it's maybe it was Dang. more yeah so i mean i i personally obviously i think that they probably realized that they they should just walk away but they were maybe they were just upset with the way the whole thing went down and just decided to chase it up in court. Um, I mean, the but damages you're, you're weren't huge either. Sixty-six hundred dollars, yeah. So devil's advocate side of it. So if you look at it from the standpoint of maybe if, if it was vengeance, right? So, hmm. so should the court have allowed it? <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm looking at it from the standpoint of the the couple that is hiring this person, the person that has whatever their beliefs are, you know what however they are in misalignment with anyone else's right it's their own beliefs yeah right so why would you want to punish them and force them for having their staunch reliefs beliefs about something it's okay mm. that's your deal you know that's mm. that's fine if you want to believe that the you know the the heat comes from the moon that's <laughs> that is your deal it doesn't affect me at all yeah. But so why try to punish this person and say, okay, you don't believe what I believe, therefore I'm going to punish you. Right. You know, why not just move on and find somebody and that, that is in well, alignment with you? That's exactly the. I mean, the, for with with any religion or belief or or way of life, if if you don't believe it, they they have as much right in my mind. They have as much right to be gay and to be to be doing this ceremony as the person has to refuse to photograph it. right and right. um, so you know just we should all just get along and uh, I mean it's like religions we you know there's been so many wars over religions and things if if it was all so good we'd just we'd all just get over it and and try to be happy together I mean yeah. I'm, I'm just if, if it was 40 years ago I'd just be I'd have long hair and a hippie thing on I'd be just peace and love man you know <laughs> I love it I love it Don what about you I mean you, you're looking at this I I'm I'm you know I'm, I get to use the word vexed I am vexed <laughs> looking, <laughs> looking at this situation from the standpoint because I look at it from a photographer standpoint and I get upset because, hey, who are you to compel me to shoot something that I don't, don't want to shoot? Then I look at it from the subject standpoint of, like, who are you to, to judge me? And I'm just like everyone else. You, sh I, you know, I should be able to hire you to do my wedding or my event or whatever. So, 
you know, I, I think it comes down to free speech, and you mm. don't want anybody's free speech to be inhibited or obstructed in any way. Mm-hmm. And you think that this this couple, um, they they want to express uh, their feelings in this commitment ceremony, and uh, and they they need a photographer to help them express that. Mm-hmm. So from that point of view, the photographer would then be an obstacle to their free speech. However, the photographer, their free speech is in whatever message that they photograph because they're an artist. So their free speech would then be uh, obstructed by going ahead and doing it. So it's sort of clashing heads in that regard. But like for you could take this into any example. Um, there's a lot of polarizing topics in uh, in North American society. Uh, let's take abortion for one of them. If I'm on one side of the argument and some activist group is on the other side of the argument, doesn't matter who's where, uh, and they want me to go and photograph their rally, well, if, if I say no, does it qualify under the same free speech problem that we're still having? Because I don't believe whatever that person is saying, and so how can I then uh, say that message in my own photographs because that becomes my speech? And it, it's it's a really tough thing to to figure out. Uh, I'm vexed as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? From a from a perspective, uh, you know, from the audience's perspective, I, what I would say is just don't give the reasons. You know, from if you if you're approached by someone to do a job that you, you know, you might want to because you want to exercise your right to free speech. But from a business perspective, it's probably better sense just to say, oh, well, no, sorry, I'm booked that weekend or something like that, and move on. Exactly. That will protect you from the hassles. And you don't have to give, oh, no, sorry, I, I, I'm not going to do it because I don't believe in what you're doing. That's like a slap in the face. But no, sorry, I'm, I'm really busy at the moment. I can't, I, I can't make it find someone else. That's a lot easier for the, for the customer to understand as well. So from a business perspective, that's probably what you should do. Well, now, you know, in, in some some retail stores here, and probably in, in Japan and in Canada as well, they have these signs that say we refuse we we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone for any reason. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, does if you say that on your website or something, would that alleviate all this? You know, just say if you have that in the footer, we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone for any reason. Then they can't sue you. But if you don't have that, then you're by omission saying, okay, we will service anyone. All you got to do is pay us whatever our fee is. Mm. Martin, what do you think? You know, I, I reckon that there's, there's certainly a possible, that's probably a, a legal loophole that you could use. Not even a loophole. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we, we'd need a, a, a lawyer guy on the show to actually say whether that would work or not. Because yeah. obviously there's no, there's no, um, guarantee that those people are even going to see the website they could just flick right. through the phone book and so you know without without having that um it's it might be something that they could circum circumvent or whatever you call it um but i uh, i think the yeah it's probably a way to get around it and protect yourself um yeah. but then again you know i mean we all want to be positive we don't want to have things slapped on our websites that say you know i'm i'm probably going to work for you but you need to get in touch with me and find out yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's just a, a lot easier to just be sort of tactful and and ref, if if it really is something that you don't want to do, just refuse in in a, a more tactful way. 
I completely agree with you, Martin. Um, now, tact is is one thing, and, and every smart business person should be uh, tasteful towards their clients and positive and polite and all of that type of stuff. Um, but they shouldn't be, by law, prevented from being uh, you know, yeah. open with their own uh, beliefs and, and that. So, it, well, good business strategy versus free speech, uh, mm. I, I'm sure that you know even the best business people wouldn't necessarily want to have options taken away from them if they so wanted to say a certain thing oh, uh, based agree, on the way yeah. that they think. So yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to get stickier. I mean, you know, when you start rolling in religion and free speech and you know business, you know, there are going to be certain clashes and sparks in there, and this is one of them, right? You can't. Some of this stuff you just can't reconcile. You just can't. You can't get around it, you know, because it's, hey, I'll shoot what I want to shoot because I I believe these certain things, and the law may say no. I'm going to compel you to shoot this because it is within. It's in the law that you have mm. to do this. So it's an interesting yeah. thing because if you look at New Mexico's law, they, they currently do not recognize same-sex marriage uh, or or unity of any kind. Uh, mm. But their Human Rights Commission apparently is taking actions to people that also believe the same, which mm. is kind of a a, a catch-22. It, it makes me wonder where the government actually stands in that. Now, this gets into an even deeper discussion versus, you know, what's legal and what's moral. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think everybody has their own lines that's defined, what, you know, what is moral and, and what isn't. And uh, and the law is black and white and, uh, and hopefully right. will change as society does. But yeah. that's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's going to get interesting because who knows if this has happened before and it's just not been publicly uh, announced or, or seen the, uh, the airwaves. Yeah. This could be happening all over the place. And if this is the first, well, then it's probably not going to be the last. Mm. Yeah, it reminds me of the story I saw. I think it was this week that popped up on AP. Uh, and I saw it because it, it took place in my home state of Michigan, where I was born. And it was this hospital and a a, a woman, let's see, a, a the father of a patient, I hope I'm getting this right, the father of a patient refused to let a nurse administer health care to the patient because she was African-American. So they were saying, yeah, I don't basically, you know, I don't want any black folks messing with my my mother or whatever it was. And then it got into the news because it's health care. And it's like, how can you in 2013 to be of that mind that, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're going to do that. So that kind of stuff, I mean, you know, race, whether it's religion, whether it's sexual orientation and overlaying that with public service and saying yes or no, you can't do it based on this, and what's the law around that? I think the law needs to be crisp up around that because it's, especially with this gay with gay marriage and, 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 and same-sex unions around the nation, how it's picking up speed, this is a whole industry, right? I mean, this is a whole gigantic industry that I'm sure there'll maybe be booths at WPPI next year. <laughs> I'm sure that if a photographer, tips, yeah, yeah tips. Sure if a photographer comes in and just touts themselves as a same-sex uh, marriage wedding photographer, they're yeah. going to ton of business because there's a lot of people out there looking for that, looking for somebody that specifically knows their needs yep. and, uh, and has done it before and does it really well. And yeah. they, they can pretty much be guaranteed a great photo shoot by somebody that's specifically tailoring their skill set to match that specific customer. Yep. And yep. you know what? There's money to be made there. And and by all means, it's going to be a growing industry. Yeah, just like just like it's an Indian wedding, have they have certain needs. It's a you know, a Jewish wedding, a Christian wedding, atheist.
previous wedding, whatever, you know, they all have certain needs that need to be addressed. And this is another category that is now legal. I'm sure people have been shooting same sex, you know, unofficial unions before now, before it became, mm. you know, mainstream. It's probably and legal. A new thing. Yeah, but but yeah, it's just this is exciting. You know, there's always something new in the news. Every year on Twip, there's something there's something new. So Martin, do you do you actually shoot weddings? Have you ever have you ever shot a wedding? Nah, I well only only sort of family weddings and things like that, and I've never done it in as a like as the photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I yeah, that's that's the sort of thing that obviously there, there's going to be a niche, and and I'm sure if we if we did a search, there's probably people that are already touting themselves in that way, yeah. um, and all power to them, you know. And it's I I personally, you know, if someone asked me to do it. I, I would have no problems at all. You know, it's not that I want to become a wedding photographer. What I mean is, that in the in the case in this case, you know, where it was a a lesbian couple, I wouldn't worry about that. I wouldn't I wouldn't care about photographing a gay couple. Yeah. Um. But I but as we you know, I would just like to reserve the right to refuse if say say for example they said yeah and we're going to get naked, then my wife is not going to enjoy that, and I would have to say well okay you know what I'm probably just going to have to not do it. You just refer um, them to me. I would do. I would. <laughs> <laughs> you and well, your scruples and morals over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but that's. I mean, that's really just it. It's just you know, I personally am fine with doing pretty much anything. I just that I I need to protect the feelings of the people around me as well, and so we we need the freedom to be able to say yes or no to to what we what we do and don't. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Mm. Don, Don, I know you've. Sh- I think I recall you saying you shot a wedding before, but that's. I've shot a few, yeah. Yeah, but uh, you're not. You're not hanging out your shingle saying, "Hey, Don Komarechka, wedding photographer." Not at all. I, I mean, I've done some second shooting for weddings, and that's always fun because I just sort of show up with the camera and I do some um, atmosphere shots and some B-roll, some um, you know, some photojournalistic type type effects. Like I'll I'll throw my fisheye lens on my camera and throw it on my tripod and hold my tripod way above my head and get some you know pseudo aerial shots of the ceremony and that kind of stuff. And and that makes for a nice, well-rounded uh, wedding ceremony. And I'm not doing the staged posed shots, and and I'm not looking for the perfect location for this. I'm just farting around and finding something that works, and and then the, the, the couple's a little bit happier with that. So I'm entirely artistic in that regard. And I would not want to do it uh, for any other reason. I, I would not want to be under the pressure of making sure that that bride and groom or bride and bride or however you want to slice it uh, would be you know, they're looking for this specific shot. They're looking for this particular pairing of people at the dinner table, and if you don't get this shot, then they're going to be upset. I don't want that stress. <laughs> you know, uh, you're like, I don't need that drama in my life right now. No, no, I, I definitely don't. Uh, the, the most difficult wedding that I've shot uh, was in Bulgaria, and it was an Eastern Orthodox uh, wedding, very long church ceremony with all sorts of um, traditions and uh, and processes that I was not familiar with, and of course, I don't speak the language more than a few words. So, I'd say that's the most interesting, but my creative style of doing that sort of background stuff worked just as well, regardless of if I speak the language or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. I I will shoot a wedding under duress, a gunpoint, or you know, threat of dismemberment or something. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you, but the, I'll tell you, the most fun that I have at weddings is when I when I pal around with these sort of highfalutin photographers that. You know that people are like begging to get, like, say Robert Evans. I I got the shot, second shoot with Robert Evans. He's a celebrity photographer. He's been on Twit before. He's a celebrity photographer down in Los Angeles, and I got to 
shoot a wedding with him of of someone of note. I can't say who it was, but it was fun being a fly on the wall in the background and saying, "Hey, I know that person," you know, taking pictures. But that was fun for me as just as a as a fan type person, but like just shooting weddings every single weekend, like Sarah France, who's been on the show, shoots weddings every weekend, sometimes more than one every weekend. And I just think I would, I'd be at Home Depot looking for some rope, man. I would not. (laughs) I have the utmost respect for her and anybody that does the job that she does. I could never Mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. And she does it with a smile. That's the thing with wedding photographers. They can, they have to do it with a smile and they do the, the good ones, like the ones we talk to, they do it with a smile, a great attitude. They worth every single penny and more that they're paid and they show up fresh to every wedding and they produce art at every single wedding, you know, yeah. which is another reason why it's intimidating to me. It's like, I, you know, I'd be wedding number two on that weekend when, it, you know, I'd be like, you're going to get whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And to bring this full circle too, you look at all the stress that these wedding photographers are under, uh, all the frustrations that they have to deal with, all the difficult clients that they have to deal with. Like, you know, this uh, Elaine, the the person that's being, uh, uh, you know, slapped with these $6,600 fine uh, is a prime example of this. Um, You, you, you have your limits, you know, whether or not you've got a client that you can deal with. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of wedding photographers out there have taken on a client, even though they knew that they would be difficult, but because there's a chance that they can have some sort of artistic uh, expression or uh, because they're just looking to get the bills paid uh, or hopefully both. But mm-hmm. y- you look at these wedding photographers and they go through quite a bit. And if you've got a client that you are just not the proper fit for, nobody's going to be happy. So what's so wrong with saying no? Yeah. Yeah. The freedom to say no, just say no. Maybe that'll be the title of this episode. Just say no. <laughs> so th- this next, this next story is in this legal vein as well. And and I think it's particularly appropriate because I, both of you guys are on the show and you're outside of the borders of the United States. Um, so this one, the ACLU, um, has recently accused the Department of Homeland Security of crossing constitutional lines with its constitution-free zones along the borders of the U.S. So basically they're saying the DHS, or Department of Homeland Security, has claimed legal authority to confiscate electronic devices, such as laptops and cameras, along a 100-mile-thick border region around the country. Right. So if you're within if you're within this 100 mile thick border region, then all bets are off and they can yank your gear without any kind of resistance. You know, yeah. you're, you know, you know, you know what, though? <laughs> the, T- the TSA have been doing it for the last few years anyway. You know, well, cl- claiming the right to yank it. But, but well, not yeah, just, but no, not they, just out of your suitcase. Right? No, I mean, not, like, out of your suitcase. You know, those guys have just been filtering through suitcases and taking stuff, whatever they want. They anyway. can look, but they don't confiscate, though, right? I mean, no, they don't. Well, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being sort of, you know, they, they st- they're stealing it. There was just a, right. a whole bunch of them um, were oh, fired right. for doing that. That's right. But no, I'm, right. I'm, just, I'm just being, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious here. But sure. now, I, I think it's, it's obviously, it's one of those things that you, it's really worrisome. It, giving anyone the power... To, to just take stuff from people is just ridiculous. It's, I mean, I don't know where it's all coming from, but over, over in the U.S. at the moment, it seems like you've got a whole bunch of people making some really, really silly mistakes in their decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that it, it's like, um, like, for example, uh, you know, being people on the border having the sole um, 
ability, you know, just one person's discrepancy can, uh, or his decision power, make, power making, or no, it's a decision making power, yeah. um, to be able to um, refuse anyone entry just because of the way they look or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you shouldn't have one. There should be guidelines, and people should be forced to 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 you know do their job along these guidelines with flexibility, but with just because he he on his own discretion thinks that someone is should not be allowed to come in. Unless he's got some, okay, this is the reason, This that's the reason, exact concrete reasons. I don't think that there should be any one guy at a, at a control, at a, you know, an entry point that is able to actually say, yes, you can come in and no, you can't as well. Um, and it, it, it leaves things open, way too open for personal, um, you know, your own biases and things to come in. You know, there, there are, there's, I, I know that I always get really worried when I come to the U.S., because I'm generally going there on business. Uh, people have advised me to say you should you should say you're going as a tourist. If I'm coming in as a tourist, I don't need anywhere near as much of the gear that I'm doing. I've, I'm, I don't want to be caught later doing a doing a workshop or something if I've said I'm coming in as a tourist. Right. So I always I always um, tell tell the guy at the you know what, what do they call it over there? The, not the cust- not customs, the other one, the immigration or immigration border yeah. patrol and. Um, I always tell those guys, you know, I'm coming into work, but then I get this grilling. What are you doing? Where are you going? Who are you working for? How long have you been doing it? And it's like, you know, if I, I know at that point that if I was to say, if I was to get annoyed at that, you know, I've, I've been sitting on a plane for 12 hours. If mm-hmm. I was to get annoyed and, and flare, you know, go back at that guy and say, well, look, just let me through for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. You know, then I know for a fact that I'd be taken to a room. I'd be sat there for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd probably be turned around and sent back home. Yeah. And so that having that ability at those points is really scary. And I think that this is just an extension of that. And there will be people that decide, you know what, I want to use this right that I've got just to annoy people. You know, they don't quite like the look on your face. They don't quite like the way, you know, the way you, you talked to them or you looked at them as you drove up. Mm-hmm. And they decide to use that, pe- that really petty power that they've got. To, to get at people, and that's yeah. that's always going to be a worry, you're, worrying. You're coming through, Martin. They could say, you know what? Today, I don't like people that wear beards without mustaches. And then they just start; they'll harass you. And then Don comes through. I don't like people that don't have any facial hair. You know, and they can, <laughs> they can use that power. Don, where, where do you fall in this? A hundred miles, a hundred mile thick line around the U.S. that your camera is subject to search and seizure. How do you feel so about that? So some, some U.S. states near the borders aren't even 100 miles in, in, in width, right? So there's entire states like the state of Maine, for example, that the entire state is within that range. And yeah. there's a lot of other states, especially, you know, some of the biggest cities are along the coasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the coasts are, are then subject to this 100-mile radius. So you'd have to be 100 miles inland mm-hmm. in order to be unaffected by this. And I think it affects the uh, the Fourth Amendment, um, and like not the entire Constitution. Of course, you can't just walk up and shoot somebody. Right. Um, it's it's just this one little thing. But it's it's very scary because it's not just at the border checkpoints. Like if I were to cross, if I were to drive, uh, I guess the closest point from here is Niagara Falls to, mm-hmm. to cross over into the United States, and I have my camera and everything searched and seized, and and for whatever reason, uh, I, I'd want them to have a reason. Uh, for one, you know, they'd have to tell me why, you know, why I'm suspicious uh, and, and, and all of that. But the fact that they can do that without any warrant, without any suspicion, not even just at the border, but after I've driven 95 miles inland, somebody can pull up behind me, pull me over, take all of my stuff, take off, and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. Nope. 
that's very scary. And I'm completely against that type of, uh, you know, draconian law. It's it's very scary when you see a government putting this in and just sort of hiding it. You know, it's it's coming to the surface now, but apparently that this has been happening for a while, and or it's been able to to have happened for a while. And I understand that there are uh, certain issues with security. Yes, you you want to try and uh, fight off uh, terrorists of any kind or people that have ill will against other people. And you, if if the government is able to intervene and and do it properly, then by all means do it. Have your suspicions and get a warrant or you know follow the proper procedure. But this gives any you know uh, Joe Schmo down the street that happens to have a badge to take whatever his own convictions are in his own hands and and start just dishing out the law as he sees fit and i don't like that yeah so, yeah you know scary. What, one thing though though just touching on what you said there don how how does confiscating electronic devices like cameras and things stop a terrorist being a terrorist and i know that they that they are, you know, they, they think that they're all walking around photographing buildings so that they can figure out how to get in and all of that. Mm-hmm. Has anyone ever proved that being able to take a photograph of something can, can help you with terrorist activities? Even? I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. they're expecting to find a camera with a CF card on it with pictures of government facilities and emails to Al-Qaeda. You know, that way, that way so, they get those two things together, then, the, okay, that person's suspicious. You know, I don't... Same logic that, that proved that, uh, you know, rock and roll uh, turned kids bad and video games right. makes people kill. Uh, and, you know, the, the logic is flawed. Uh, yeah. And and I think that there, there's no, uh, you know, uh, correlation does not equal causation. And and even yeah. if somebody were to have that stuff, I think that there was a a side note on one of those stories that somebody was uh, studying some Middle East uh, socio-economical or cultural uh, problems uh, as as part of their thesis, and and they had images uh, from the Middle East, and and they were uh, questioned mm. quite seriously about this, even though it was for completely legitimate reasons, and they had all the documentation to prove it. Mm. So it it again gets very scary. Um, when you have just that uh, uncontrolled power uh, mm-hmm. in the hands of just anybody with no, as far as I can tell, I mean, I, I haven't uh, dug through all of the documents, but they have absolutely uh, nobody to, uh, to, to to go to and, and explain this. They don't have, there's no um, element of, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Frederick, help me out. Um, uh, accountability. That's the word. Right. Accountability. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, no yeah. accountability. That's what I was going to say. Accountability. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, what? Well, how does this affect you guys? I mean, do you knowing having read this story and being from outside the U.S. and traveling to the U.S. from time to time, how will this change your mindset the next time you come to the United States of America? Hmm. Uh, I might take my memory card out of my camera and hide it in my glove box if I'm driving across the border. Really? Uh, no. Would you? Would you seriously do that, or would you? You know, just like yeah, whatever. It'll never happen to me. Or would you honestly take steps to to be safe just in case this happened to you? I, I have a very foreign-sounding last name, so <laughs> you know, it, it's not exactly uh, a, a risk that I would conceive of happening. But if I just spent uh, the most wonderful time in, say, Yosemite, uh, taking the most beautiful photographs of the waterfalls at night, 
once-in-a-lifetime shots. Maybe I spent time up in Alaska getting some of the most beautiful Northern Lights photographs, photographing wildlife that I'll never be able to go back to again. And there is even the smallest possible chance that those memories trapped in those photographs can be taken away from me and I'll never see them again. Uh, I might want to do something to prevent that from happening. So I might try to hide my memory card in a sock in my luggage or whatever it happens to be and throw a, a fresh blank one in the camera. It's back up to a cloud service the whole, the night before you go back, back to the US. Yeah, so if it's in the cloud, even though it's still subject to search, you know, at least uh, you, you won't. Joe Blow, law enforcement officer, won't be able to take your card away, right? Exactly. The, the problem with that, though, of course, is that they, I mean, I, I back up in the cloud, but I generally do it from home when I've got a nice fat pipe up into the cloud. And if you try to do that in hotels and Wi-Fis and stuff it. like that. Yeah. You if know, you filled you, up like a 32 or a 64 gigabyte card on your trip, good luck trying to offload that anywhere from a hotel oh, internet I, connection. I mean, I, I come back from, from wildlife trips with hundreds of gigabytes. It's just not going to get up there while I'm traveling. Um, so, but I mean, I, I do the same thing. I do anyway. Whenever I'm going across a border or anywhere where they might have X-ray um, you know, equipment to, to look into things, I don't know if they do this at the borders uh, in and out of the U.S. I imagine they don't. It's more about airports. But I always make sure that I've got a at least two external hard drives with all of my images from that trip on before I start to travel away from that location. And I make sure I have one in. One is always in my my geeky photographer's vest, yeah. and the other is always in a in a bag away from my laptop. So I've wait got. A minute, like, wait a minute, Martin. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it sounded like you said you had a photographer's vest. Do you? You do uh, okay. not have a photographer's vest. Tell me. I do. I do. I, here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So in in Japan, there's there's this um, this thing where when everyone reaches 65, the government issues them a a beige floppy hat and a and a, and a beige vest and two or three white L lenses of their choice. As far as uh, I know, you're not 65 yet. So. Uh, well, the thing is, well, because, because it seems that everyone, all of the photographers here of that age all wear these beige vests, my wife agreed. It was probably a good 10 years or so ago now, but she agreed that I could have one if I had a black one. And so so okay, I, I, can on, okay. I can only wear black, and then it sort of it doesn't look quite as dorky as you would think. But... Um, yes, I, I'm. You know, I, I'm a vest user, and I, I can't. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm, I should, I should be at the uh, some sort of a vest users and anonymous meeting. You should. But, um, you should. Do you wear the hat too? You don't wear the no, hat. No, no. I, you know what? I actually, I did buy a floppy hat, <laughs> but it was, it was last year, and I, you know, I, uh, I was in a weak moment, and it, it actually, I quite liked it. It was good for the hot, for the hot places I visited last year, but. It was, I'm getting there, you know. I've got 20 years to go, but but I'm sort of getting there to this uh, to geeky vest and hat sort of Don, syndrome. Don, please tell me. I mean, I imagine you don't because it's a little chilly up there. But you do not have a photo vest, right? Do you? I don't, but I've considered buying one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, wow. it's funny because when you go through airports, uh, I camera gear is heavy, 
and expensive, yeah. and you don't want to check it, so you, you want to have it with you. And they never wear your jacket, so uh, or weigh, weigh your jacket. I, I will bring my camera bag. They'll weigh it. They'll say, okay, well, you're yeah. 10 pounds overweight. And then I'll just mm. take lenses and start sticking it in my jacket yeah. pockets. Yeah. It'd be much easier if I had a photo vest, and I didn't have to do that to begin I've, with. Yes. I've done that. I, I've done that in front of the people at the desk. But you know what? On a serious note, I know that they look stupid. I mean, and we're not even going to go there when it comes to knee pads, because that, oh. that's like, you know, 45 year old skateboarders no thank you, you know, and, and i'm talking about myself um but the the they actually do on a on a kind of serious note they actually do help you to get the photograph because what you what i do is i'll get to somewhere and i'll take the lenses that i that i could conceivably use at that place and i'll put them in my pockets and if i've not got the lens that i want to switch to in my pocket if i've got to take the rucksack off and actually get the get the lens out of the bag it slows me down to the point where you know what I'm just going to shoot it with the lens I've got on, and I end up not quite getting the photographs that I that I feel as though I should be taking because I can't be bothered to get the lens out of the bag. If it's in my pocket, I'll switch it out in the blink of an eye. So I actually do think that they they help you to get a little, or at least help me to get um, more shots than I would if I didn't use it. But I, I'm just sort of I'm standing here now trying to trying to <laughs> make it okay to use the vest. I love it. Uh, that, that's a good point because Alex Lindsay actually brought that up um, on. I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, he was talking about how it was, it was one of his tips, I think, to, to basically what you said, Don, to take weight out of your luggage and, and get, through airports, air, get through the airport without paying those extra fees because they don't weigh you. They only weigh your stuff. So if you have a jacket, you just start stuffing stuff in there if you're a couple pounds over and bring it down. So, yeah, there's that, but I'm, I'm still, I know I'm going to get, you know, some messages on this, but I'm just not. <laughs> I have, I do own one of those vests, but it has been sitting in my closet forever (laughs) because I can't bring myself to put it on. I can't. Maybe they made like a cool looking one or so. I don't know. Uh, Maybe I'd wear it. Maybe that's a market. Somebody out there build a cool like photo vest that that people can wear if you're not 65. You know what? You're gonna you're gonna get a few a few manufacturers on the phone to you. I think is. uh... Because they they you know they they're not the coolest thing in the world for sure. I don't think you could ever make a really cool one. Um, right. But, yeah. You know. No, I don't know. That might be a challenge. That might be a challenge for you know some some fashion TV show or something. Make a cool photo vest. <laughs> Come up with a cool photo vest that photographers would actually feel cool wearing. All right, guys. Before we before we proceed, I want to uh, give a nod to our sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Audible.com. They're the internet's leading provider of audiobooks. They've got more than one hundred thousand downloadable titles across all types of literature, featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. And for our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. You can get your free audiobook by heading over to audiblepodcast.com. That's audiblepodcast.com slash twip. And, uh, yeah, definitely check them out. I've been, I'll tell you, the latest book that I've been listening to, let me find, I want to make sure I tell you the exact title of this thing, because I've. this is the first book that I've listened to about four times consecutively, ever. So it's called, and you guys have probably heard of this before, it's called The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. Best book ever, <laughs> with, with periods after each one of those words. So this is a book that basically, I, I look at that book as kind of the, 
user manual to dealing with people as you grow up. I wish I had read or listened to or consumed that book when I was 16 years old because I would be much better off than I am now. It sort of defines how to deal with things in different situations, whether it be politically, in the workplace, or whatever. It's just an awesome book. And the narrator is riveting, has one of those sort of Martin Bailey kind of voices so that <laughs> you can you can you really can listen to it for a long period of time. Some of these narrators, you're like, okay, 10 minutes in, I'm done. But this guy, you can listen to because he's, he's one of the ones, one of those narrators that you can tell is not, you know he's reading, obviously, but it doesn't sound like he's reading because he can emote and add different inflection to it. And then the content is so riveting in the book is just amazing. I can't recommend it highly enough or anything by Robert Greene, actually, because there's a couple of other books that he has. He's got one on seduction. He's got one on uh, in seduction, not so much from, you know, how to seduce women or men or whatever, but from the standpoint of seducing, you can seduce your customers, right? How do you, how do you do that stuff? And it's just, it's just awesome understanding how all that stuff works and the human mind. And I think it's, it's awesome for photographers to get into the brain of your subjects and how they think and what makes them do certain things to get the picture. Definitely check it out. So you can download it for free. Just head over to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. Check it out and download it, and I think you'll love it. And I think you'll probably end up like me downloading everything that this guy <laughs> has written, Robert Greene, and uh, you know, you'll be better for it. It's, uh, like I said, three times in already on this book, and it's I may go for four, so pretty good. All right, guys. Um, the next thing up before I want to jump in, I did. I had a chance to sit down with a photographer by the name of Sarah Colleton. She's a she's from Canada, Don Komarechka. So, um, and she and I chatted. She's a she's a photographer, and she does a lot of amazing things. She's getting into the 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 conversation was centered around just sort of how to get the word about out about your yourself and training and self marketing and all that stuff she's got an amazing brain on her so definitely listen to this interview and uh, and let us know what you think in the uh, in the comments so give it a listen Sarah Culleton a uh, special treat right now i'm talking to yet another canadian I love I love that that the our neighbors to the north uh, keep agreeing to come on this week in photo, but Sarah Culleton has uh, agreed to come on and talk to me about street photography and her experiences and how she got to where she is today in the photography world. And uh, we're doing this via Skype, and you can probably tell through Skype's magical video rendering algorithms, they are probably making us both look a little less than what we normally look like. So. Sarah, welcome to This Week in Photo. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. You're welcome. You're welcome. Anytime. Okay, so you and I, I mean, we were, we've been, you know, shooting the breeze over a couple of Google Plus sessions and Skype sessions over the past couple of days. So I want to rehash some of that for the for the TWIP listeners. But first of all, let's just introduce you. Like, who Who is Sarah and why are you a photographer right now? Uh, I'm a photographer because I dropped out of art school. <laughs> nice. I gave up on drawing and I needed to do something else that was creative. So, I mean, it started with a point and shoot and, and then an entry-level DSLR. But, I mean, I don't think I ever would have considered uh, taking up photography if it, if it wasn't for my painting teacher telling me I had no talent. <laughs> really? Said you had no talent? So. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't want to be a painter anyway. I wanted to be a cartoonist, but uh, like an animator. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't so go you, back for the second year. 
you've always been in some way or another, or maybe maybe not always, but in recent memory, you've been sort of wanting to be a creative or create art, right? And you settled on photography as the medium now? Yeah, I mean, I was drawing since I was, I spent, you know, over probably 13 years planning to be an animator. Mm-hmm. I mean, from five or six years old, wanting to be a Disney animator and do those movies and then moving into 3D. Um, but yeah, that all, <laughs> that all changed from one painting teacher. Wow. Wow. That's, that's interesting. You're, I think you're the first person I've spoken to in, in all of the interviews that I've done has, that have gone from the, you know, and I would call it traditional art. So from the traditional sort of pen and ink or paint on paper to click in the shutter. So what, what other than the, the rendering and understanding light and shadow and composition, what are some of the parallels between those two worlds that you've seen? I mean, I guess I, I guess that's one of the biggest things. Um, I have no formal training in photography and only one year in actual art school. The rest is all kind of self-taught. Um, so a lot of things, uh, as far as composition, just came from my drawing background or looking at, you know, paintings I used to study and the artists I used to study. I probably know a lot more about painters um, than you know, the classic photographers, <laughs> the big ones out there, yeah. at least not until the last year. Um, but, I mean, that was a huge thing, and I'm constantly inspired uh, by movies, uh, specific directors and moods and looks. Those are things that aren't necessarily seen in my photographs, but I'm definitely looking for them when I'm shooting. Uh, that's interesting. So l- let's segue that into the type of photography that that you like to do. You and I spoke before, and you said you're a big fan of street photography. Well, and there, from from previous conversations that I've had, there are all kinds of street photography and street photographers. Which kind are you? Do you are you the candid person that just you're, you just go around sniping with a long lens, or do you build a relationship with the subject and try to understand their story? What, which one do you do? I'm definitely a candid photographer. I do like observing, um, but I've I've moved away from those telephoto lenses. And I think it was one of my last two trips to New York, I met up with a friend down there who is an incredible street photographer and shoots with film. And he told me, he's like, take the 16 and the 35 that you have and do not take it off and shoot everything with this. Do not use your 24 to 70. Do not use your 100. Don't use the 70 to 200 get up close and get used to feeling uncomfortable until it becomes comfortable. Um, and that, I mean, that was terrifying for me. Yeah. And I never, I never want people to feel uncomfortable. Um, so how do you do that? I mean, a- how do how do you do that? I mean, of course, you know, br- being a pretty girl, you can approach and get into certain circumstances that, ugly guys can't but <laughs> but you know what what do you use to break the ice how do you get in there and and get that shot and make the person feel at ease and then walk away with a good image honestly smiling yeah that is the easiest trick and uh i mean for the most part i'm i'm not looking to be up close all the time i'm i'm finding anything that catches my eye uh Starting out in street photography, I didn't really know what it was, and I thought it was more of the architecture or the stuff around the city. And then that quickly changed to me wanting to capture the people. Um, But if they catch you, I mean, all you have to do is smile or pretend you're looking through your photos instead of actually clicking on the shutter (laughs) and doing it all from the hip. Yeah. Now, are you are you compensating people, or do you say, "Hey, you know, give me your email address, and I'll send you a link to the image when it's done"? Or 
like how does all that work with model releases and all that? If I want to go out and say San Francisco tomorrow and do some street photography, what should I bring with me to be prepared? I don't know the specifics of the laws in the states. Um, so long as you're, so long as the stuff is personal and it's for yourself, or you're selling it, you know, as like a private print. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I know, you're you're fine about having to do model releases. It's once you start shooting for someone for a company or a corporation, that's when you need model releases, that's when you need the permission. Um, and I, I don't go looking for that. Um, I never want people to feel uncomfortable, so if they catch me and they don't want the shot uh, kept, I'm more than happy to delete it. Uh, but I don't, for the most part, uh, I don't really go up and talk to the people. I'm just walking and I'm shooting and I, I keep going. That was the easiest thing for me, especially kind of, uh, starting it in New York, is don't stop moving. <laughs> if they do catch you, you're already gone around the corner by the next time. So you're not making a photo shoot. No? You're not saying, hey, that old guy sitting next to that trash can would make a good portrait, and you don't go go up to him, build a rapport, snap, 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 okay, turn to the left, snap, and then move on. You're like, you're like stick and move. You're a ninja. You're in and out onto the next thing. Yeah. The first time I actually did that was uh, just a couple months ago when I was in Havana. That's when I would actually stop and photograph people and talk to them. Um, Some of them, that's what they do all day. They're busking. So having change on you helps, and they're more than happy to talk. Um, And in the last couple of days, I made sure I got their names. Uh, So I'm still working through all my Havana shots. But that's when I stopped to talk to people because Havana was gorgeous, and what I wanted to capture were the people more than anything there. Yeah. Yeah, but no, no model releases, nothing formal like that. So, what if what happens if you get the shot of a lifetime, and you decide that hey, there's commercial value to this shot, but I don't have a model release? What what happens then? I mean, moving forward, I guess I prepare myself to bring that stuff with me, and there's plenty of apps that you can have on you know Androids and iPhones. Um, yeah, yeah. But when I'm doing street photography, it is really personal. So I'm I'm shooting for myself before I think of anyone else. Yeah. Uh, if someone else likes my style and they want it, then they're going to hire me for it. For everything else, and every day I go out on my own, that's just for me. But I like sharing that with the how followers would, online. How would you describe your style? What is what is the Sarah Culleton personal look? I think more than anything, it is very candid and natural. I, I mean, I do like playing around with presets and creating my own and buying some in Lightroom. Um, but for the most part... I do like a really clean shot. I like mm-hmm. the colors to look natural. Um, yeah. Played around with all different types of effects in HDR, but I always do come back to kind of having the shot look like it was out of camera. Yeah, it's like simple, simple compositional elements with that. That do you tell? Do you try to tell a story in your images, or is it just hey, this looked great compositionally and aesthetically? I'm going to snap that, or is there a story in there? As I photograph more people in the street photography, it's stuff I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll I'll wait and I'll be a little bit slower in my my shots. Um, whereas before, I was so eager to test out the brand new camera and the new gear and just excited to be out shooting in the city that I come back with you know hundreds of shots and really not use any of them in the end. Yeah. Um, so I, I do come back with less shots now, and I am looking more for stories. I don't really know what they are until I see them. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. I love I love asking photographers about how they arrive at their looks, and there's is always different answers. I, I could interview a hundred photographers, and they would all say different things about 
you know, what their look is. Some of them lean more towards in camera, getting it in the camera. Some lean more towards the camera produces the raw material and then the real magic happens in post-production or somewhere in between. In between. The cool thing is there's no right answer. It's just whatever, whatever you like to do, right? I think that, uh, yeah, I agree completely. And I think one of the best debates I've had with other photographers is, uh, you know, going back to my stuff, I started out shooting kind of concerts and bands around the city, still very candid. And now moving into street photography, a lot of the debate ends up being people saying it's either so easy to do because there's no directing involved and you can just shoot whatever you want, or other people saying it's incredibly difficult because you don't have any control then it's your job to capture that moment or that light or that look yeah. and get it without having that chance to go back and say, just hold it or don't move. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then, so I wanted to segue um, in the, in the couple of minutes we have left here, I want to segue into gear and maybe some tips um, on just sort of street photography and how people can sort of get their brain around getting out there and breaking the ice with subjects like you've learned to do. So first of all, gear, like what are you using? You said a 16 to 35, you know, you're going out there. What, what camera body are you using? Uh, I heard you mention Lightroom for post-processing. What's your formula? As far as gear goes, um, I shoot with Canon. So I just upgraded to the Mark three a couple Ooh. months ago, but I've had the Mark two for, you know, a good, three years and that was my baby for the longest time. Nice. Um, starting out, I did the 24 to 70. That was probably one of my favorite lenses to use. And, you know, it's nice being able to have that zoom. Um, but I like the challenge now. So I think the two main lenses I used while I was in Havana was definitely the 50 mil one four and then the hundred mil macro. I actually love shooting that uh, oh. for portraits. Yeah. Um, for the bouquet, right? It, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> 70 to 200 or any type of, you know, telephoto is great for people who are uncomfortable with the idea of capturing people and being close. Um, but at the same time, when you start using a lens like the 70 to 200, it's really obvious. <laughs> it's a big lens, and you're more than likely having it attached to a fairly large body. Um, if you have the Canon 135, that's a gorgeous prime with a good telephoto, and it's black. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. obvious in the 70 to 200 and you're still getting that range if you want. If you want to give yourself the challenge, then you have to shoot with a prime and shoot with a 50 or 35 or something like that. Yeah, like they used to tell us in, uh, when I was going through uh, training in the military in photography, they'd say you have to put a, put a prime on there and zoom with your feet, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Which I love, you know, that's, that's great. And, and the other the other tip about using primes is it's it's easier to build that muscle memory of what the shot's going to look like and where you need to be in order to to get the right framing and all that zooms and zooms are infinitely changeable so it's harder to get your brain around okay when I whip my camera up this is what the shot's going to look like with a prime boom you know with a fifty one four on there you it, after a day of shooting you know what that lens is going to do in most situations right. No, that was the best way to learn, too. I mean, when I started with, I started on a Nikon D70S, and I had a kit lens and a, a 30 mil. And then when I upgraded to the Mark II, my friends was an 85, and I had no idea how to shoot with it. I had only shot with, you know, a, a 30 or 35, and 
I always had to step back another 10 feet. So it's a great <laughs> way to learn exactly what you're composing when you have that in front of you. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And then post-processing-wise, are, are we talking um, exclusively Lightroom or a combination of Lightroom and Photoshop? What's the, what's the magic after the raw images on the, on the disk? You know, I'd say like 99.9% of the time it is all Lightroom uh, and Lightroom 4. Uh, I do make a lot of my own presets, and I've purchased a bunch, and there's a lot of people out there that have free ones, and I like playing around and seeing what they have. Um, but yeah, I do most of it in there. I have other software. I have the On One software suite, which I love, and Photoshop, uh, which I've been playing around a little bit more just to practice retouching for portraits. Mm -hmm. So when it comes down to the majority of the stuff I like, I like that fast shooting, fast editing, really natural look. And Lightroom does that so well. And then when you're done, when you're done, you know, in Lightroom, you've got a, you've, you're fast, you've got your, your image where you want it. Then what? Are you are you pushing it up to SmugMug, Zenfolio, or your own website? Where? How do you display the images that you shoot to people? It's going everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on redoing my website right now, as we've already talked about. So that's kind of the last thing <laughs> that yes. I'm thinking about. You were working on your um, website before this call, right? <laughs> I'm working on it forever, it seems. So we'll see if it gets up there uh, anytime soon. My favorite place to share right now, because I love the community, is Google+. It has this great community of photographers. I'm not doing it in any attempt to get a job or look for photography work. Mm -hmm. It's photographers I follow, so I'm constantly inspired. I get to share images. We get to share stories and techniques, um, and it's just great feedback. But the photos go up on Facebook, too. Um, I bring them up to 500 pixels as well. Um, and then anything shot with my phone, I do on uh, Instagram. Oh, nice. Nice. I love it. You sound like me. That's kind of, that's kind of my flow. You know, I, I like those three. It's, isn't it interesting how, how Google Plus, in a lot of ways, much, much to, I'm sure, Google's chagrin, has become like the nesting ground for photographers? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like we return there to nest and then maybe go other places every now and then, but that's where we live. The tab is open on Chrome all day. Like I never close it. It's there at both home and work. I have a whole bunch of circles that I revisit and it's basically feeds of photographers and gadgets. <laughs> and that is it. I love it. See you and me right there. We're probably brother and sister in another <laughs> life. I love it. <laughs> okay. So parting shots here. So if you're going to leave photographers with one or two tips, they say these are photographers that are they're on a, on their path that are at a point in time before where you are um, to help them sort of learn from your mistakes and your successes, what, what would you tell them? You know, Hey dude, if I could do one thing differently, it would be this. What would you say? Um, one thing differently. <laughs> I think, I mean, the one thing I would suggest for everyone is really get to know the community online. I, yeah. It was intimidating when I first started not knowing anything and really Flickr was kind of the only thing out there. Um, and I felt so scared to ask any photographer <laughs> any type of question. And it was before, you know, all the metadata was available for you to, you know, check out. Sure, and yeah. kind of faster learn how to shoot. Um, but, you know, everyone's great. I haven't had really any problems, no matter what level of um, photography I've seen. Um, everyone's willing to share and offer advice and help each other out. Um, and... Don't get discouraged with the stuff you see because there's incredible work out there. Um, 
but your stuff will get better <laughs> and don't be scared to post and because I've made tons of mistakes and I'm happy to share those because it makes me a better editor too. Yeah, no, that's, that's great advice. I, now, you know, I, speaking of being scared to post, I remember when, when 500 pixels or 500 pics first started looking at the site and the quality of work that was up there. Uh, I didn't want to put anything up there for several months you know i was like you know i i actually went out like specifically to shoot things that i thought would be worthy to put on that site conversely on Flickr, you know you feel like you put anything up there but on 500 picks for just because not so much they they stated that you needed to put up high quality work this is all the work that i saw up there was amazing so i didn't want to you know i felt intimidated i had a little I had I like a, to think of a pixel envy i guess you know <laughs> I find it the greatest source for uh, intimidation mixed with inspiration. Yes. And that's how I describe that site. And so I started off with a free account because I was like, there's no way I have 10 best shots to upload every week. I will never get past that. I don't even think I have one best shot in my library to post totally. every week. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even though that's a tagline, I really don't think they, they take that too seriously. It's, you know, look past the popular page because those are going to be the greatest shots in the world that you're going to see. There's plenty of work on there and there's tons of amazing work, but that shouldn't stop you from posting and learning to grow as a photographer as well. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, where, so you're, you're online, obviously. I mean, your, your, your online presence is under construction, (laughs) but maybe it'll be done by the time people hear this. So what's, what's your URL or where on Google plus can people go or 500 pics? Where can people go see your work? I mean, if you if you search for my name, uh, Sarah No H Colleton, um, that's I mean that's my Twitter handle, that's my Instagram, um, that is my eventual website. <laughs> uh, I'm there on Google Plus as well. I'm involved in some of the communities, um, so I've started a photo news community on Google Plus, which is kind of profiling a lot of the Canadian photographers out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just started last week and it's growing, but I do want to do more, um, whether it's more hangouts and interviews um, because there's great work out there and I have lots of people in my feed and I just want to kind of give the Canadians the credit <laughs> they I need to. I love it. Yeah. No, that's great. And if you would, I'm going to put you on the spot right now, but I would love it if you would agree to come on this week in photo as a co-host from time to time and, and give us your perspective on the different topics of the week. I would be honored to do that, and I would love to. Awesome. All right, you're in. I'm going to loop you in. So I have it on record now that you agreed to do it, (laughs) literally and figuratively. Okay, Sarah, well, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight to chat with me. This has been one of the the best interviews I've had this week, so thank you so much. It's your first interview this week, right? Oh, it wasn't. Not my first interview (laughs) this week. No, you weren't. But thank you so much. Thank you for having me very much. Yeah, okay. All right, that was Sarah Colleton. You can check her out at her website. We'll put a link to all of her online presences in the show notes for this episode. The second sponsor is uh, for this episode is Shutterstock.com. And I got to tell you, we've been using Shutterstock on This Week in Photo for the better part of a year now for our show notes and, and the, the blog posts and all that, and it is awesome. They've got over 20 million high-quality photos, illustrations, vectors, video clips, um, 
you know, it just goes on and on. Just basically, basically whatever you need to take your creative project to the next level. And they're offering 30% off your new account if you go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP3. So they've, like I said, the way that I use them, and I've got a bunch of notes here that I could read on what they do, but this is one of those things that I, I use on a weekly, sometimes daily basis, depending on the project that I'm working on. So I can just vamp about it. So they've got, you know, we're building some different projects on This Week in Photo and for my, my company, MediaBytes.com. And Shutterstock is the site that I go to because all the imagery there, or not all of it, but most of the imagery there is awesome. It's just stuff that I can, I can immediately do a search for, pick what I, exactly what I need, and plug it in. I don't have to worry about the resolution. I don't have to worry about anything. It's like, okay, I need a photo of a person doing this. I search for it and I want it at this resolution, or maybe I'll get the, the high resolution because I may be printing it later, then I can just download it and roll with it. It's awesome. I use it all the time. I've found videos on there. I've used for videos that I use for intros and outros for projects that I'm doing. I've used images on websites. I've used images in emails, and it just, it's just bookmarked as the place that I go when I need an image. And like I said, we use it on TWIP when we need to find an image to represent an episode of the show that, to put in the blog post. So really cool. And they are, um, like I said, they're going to give you 30% off on a new account if you go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP3. That's Shutterstock.com and the offer code TWIP3. Just start an account, begin using it, and then if you decide to purchase the or just start to purchase an image or start an account up, just use that offer code and they'll take that amount off. So thank you, Shutterstock, for supporting This Week in Photo. We appreciate you, and thank you for building such an awesome service. Like I said, I use it all the time. I use it too. You do? See? Yeah. Awesome. You should contribute some snowflakes there. I need some snowflakes for a project I'm working on. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. I, I use them for vector illustrations all the time. Very, very cool. See? See, it's not just me. It's everybody. All right, guys, let's dive into the listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of our listeners' minds. Question number one is from Steve Whitaker from Merced, California. Um, I'm going to throw this to you, Don Kamarechka. You want to take this one? Sure. Uh, he goes on and, and discusses a few things, but uh, he, he's ready to buy more equipment. And he says that uh, he's taken close to 50,000 pictures mm-hmm. in the last few years, all with the kit lens on his camera. Pretty good dedication there. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's looking to purchase a new lens or two, and he's asking if there's any way to download the metadata from all of the pictures and see what focal length he uses most often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and absolutely there is. Um, He's trying to figure out, well, what, what focal length does he use the most and maybe to tailor his next lens purchase towards that particular focal length. Uh, he also says that he's uh, using Lightroom and Photoshop Elements 11 to, uh, to edit and uh, organize his photographs. So uh, Lightroom has this feature built right in. Uh, if you're in the library module and you're in the grid view, you can sort your photographs based on metadata. And uh, so you can choose to sort by date, by camera, by lens. And one of the options in there is to sort by focal length. You can also sort by shutter speed and ISO. And so you can sort of get a feel for how you've been shooting and what kind of things you've been shooting uh, by looking into that. Now, that number might not be entirely useful to some people. Uh, For example, I'm going to have a lot under 65 millimeters because that's the focal length of my macro lens. But that doesn't mean that I'm shooting portraits. It's sort of 
it, it doesn't work in all cases. But for um, for Steve, I think that if it's just a kit lens, he'll get a feeling for if you're shooting more in the wide end or uh, more in the normal focal range, and then he can tailor his next purchase to a, a wide angle prime or a uh, a very fast prime or something that's going to suit his uh, his focal range. But he should also take a look at his aperture because if he's maybe shooting uh, landscapes a lot and he's shooting with a, a very, very small aperture, then he might not need a prime lens. He can get maybe a more flexible zoom lens. But if he's finding that he's shooting very uh, wide open, then he'll need a prime lens or something that can take better portraits. Uh, so there's more than just the focal length to consider here, but Lightroom lets you sort through it all and you can see of all your 50,000 photographs what things you use the most often. Love it. Perfect. It's a perfect answer to that. So you know what? Martin, you I, got I anything? Just, I just want to build on that just a little bit. Um, the, the, the thing that I was thinking is as well is you, you might shoot a lot with, with a, particular, at a particular focal length that you find, but if you're not selecting images to show people from those focal lengths, it could mean that you're actually out in the field photographing at, say, I don't know, 50 millimeters quite a lot. You've got loads of images at 50 millimeters, but you, you find that when you get home and you actually sort through your images, you might be going for the, the 35 or the 24 millimeters or the, or the 100 millimeters over the 50s. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is as well, it's, it's certainly good to, to take a look at the, at the whole range of all of your images, but also if you've got a selection of the image of your best work that you consider uh, the stuff that you want to show people, Run the same script on that because it, it, Lightroom will give you the numbers for any folder that, or collection that you've got selected. So don't just do it for all of your images. Do it for your, for your, best, your best ones because then you can really narrow down um, you know, which ones you're actually gravitating to, not just which, what you're shooting. Um, but also, I, I, I wanted to also just um, plug a friend of mine, uh, Jeffrey Friedel. Lives, he's a guy who lives here in Japan. Um, he has a whole bunch of plugins that you can download. And one of them, I'm just looking for it right now. I think it was called, it's Data Explorer. And what Data Explorer will do, I mean, these are do donationware. So if you send Jeffrey a, a few cents or a dollar or something, you can use this. Um, but you can download it and use it for free to begin with as well. But Data Explorer, basically, what that will do is once it, you, you can say to it, okay, build me a list of all of the focal lengths or all of the lenses. And then when you, you, there's a button next to it. And when you hit that button, it'll actually drop all of those images into a, a collection for you and do all of that sort of stuff within Lightroom. So Data Explorer, one of Jeffrey Friedel's plugins is also good if you want to, if you want to really take that, uh, you know, if you want to really dig in and, and then use those images to, uh, you know, build collections and stuff like that. Perfect. Yeah. Jeffrey Friedel is an icon at Adobe, you know, because he is the guy that wrote some pretty important plugins for for Lightroom. And mm. uh, and, you know, I, I thank you, Jeffrey, if you're watching. this. <laughs> thank you for doing what you do tirelessly and without pay in a lot of a lot of cases. So, well, he is tireless. I mean, if you look at the list, I'll, I'll probably I'll put a, a link to all of his to his plugins page in the show yes, notes so that we can do. put it into the, um but yeah there's if you look at the amount he does and they're all updated really regularly he's mm -hmm. he's tireless for sure he does a great job and he's a really nice guy as well yeah yep yep cool awesome all right martin i'm going to throw this next one to you i'm going to read it for you listener mark says i've recently upgraded from a cropped sensor to a full frame nikon d700 i've started to get new lenses and purchased a nikon 50 1.8 
Now I'm struggling with filter selection. Since I'll be getting other lenses that will have different filter sizes, what's better? Screw-on filters or a system like Koken? I'm looking primarily at ND filters, but may get others as my experience increases. What do you think? Hmm. It's uh, this is a tough one because I mean, although I I own a Koken system, and and also Lee filters do some great. I mean, the the Lee system's really cool to look at, and but you know what? I don't even take my filter those those big square filters out anymore. And partly because I can do most of it with the dynamic range of the camera, or I can I can shoot multiple images and merge them together in post now. So I don't use ND grads as much as I used to. Um, there's certainly a place for them, and I mean David Dushman and I had a conversation about this on the on the tour, and you know he still uses them, and there there are benefits to using them in the field as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but personally, I don't bother taking them out anymore, and part of the reason is that they're because they're they're big and they're square. You can't use a lens hood when you've got them on. Lee apparently do a lens hood, but it's not very good. Um, and so what I I generally buy a screwing filter for any if I, if I want to do anything I'll use a screwing filter and that way it's on it's it's on the front of the lens and you know obviously Knock you can't use off. a neutral grad yeah. uh, neutral grads need to move up and down so you can't see, you can't really th- do that that's the thing I want to throw at you at, at for this question both of you guys so neutral density neutral density graduated filters mm. do we need them? are they antiquated i mean do we need them today considering that we can do what they were doing to our raw files in post. I, I personally, you know, I, I literally don't use them anymore. Um, Unless you're trying to increase does. the exposure. So if, it's, if you're trying to say, okay, like you're shooting moving water in the bottom half of the, the frame and you want it to look like mist, then you can do that, right? Where you want the top half to expose One, differently. Only, only if the top was much darker. You know, right. you, you're not yeah. you're not going to be able to do that. You're going to overexpose the top, and so I mean, for sure. I mean, I use ND filters uh, uh, religiously. I use them all the time, but and not all the time, but I use them a lot. Sure. Um, yeah. But the they're they're not you know the graduated filters. I I think they are antiquated. I personally just don't bother taking them out anymore. They, David disagreed, and and that's you know that's up to him, and everyone's got the right to to work how they want to work. No, um, no, they should work like but, I say they should work. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, the, the, to, to go back to the question, though, the, I generally will buy one ND filter. I, I, I usually have an ND8 and an ND400X for okay. all of the, the filter sizes that I use. Um, generally, though, I've got 72, uh, 77, and 82, I think it is. Um, but it, it, it's a lot of money. Some of these filters are, are quite expensive, so... Yeah. Um, you know, you might want to consider uh, step-down filters. They just buy buy one for the biggest filter that you've, the biggest filter gauge that you've got or diameter that you've got, and then get a step-down filter. And that way, you can you can plug it into uh, to your smaller lenses as well. Great, that's um, awesome. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. what I do. Yeah, that's. It does still mean that you can sometimes have have problems getting the uh, getting the lens hood on. But you know, if you if you're using a, a a really heavy um, ND anyway, it's not such a big deal. So I, I would just consider going for the largest filter gauge, filter diameter that you have, use step-down filters, and uh, and then as money and budget allows, you might want to consider getting the smaller filters as well. But, yeah, that's so the way to go. 
so just just you know, I like I like to do this when we start talking about complex topics because not everyone in the this weekend photo audience knows uh, what we're talking about when we say ND or neutral density. Don Kamariska, can you explain what ND means in a layman's perspective? So sometimes if you're trying to photograph a scene, uh, it's useful uh, both for photography and videography. Uh, if you want to, say, uh, have a waterfall, and you want to have around a one-second exposure so that the water is blurred over that time, it looks misty, almost like cotton. It's a very surreal effect, uh, and it can work quite well in some cases. If you're doing that shot in bright sunlight, in order to get a one-second exposure, uh, you might try to drop your ISO to its absolute lowest level. And then you might try to bring your aperture to the smallest aperture, the biggest f-stop number that you can, but you still might be nowhere near one second. You might be sitting at one-thirtieth of a second because there's too much light coming in the lens no matter what settings on the camera you try to adjust. So putting a neutral density filter in front of the lens, will it, it doesn't affect the lens uh, or, or the optics in, in any way, uh, like it, it doesn't you know, affect it like a polarizing filter would to remove reflections. It just stops a certain amount of light from entering into the lens mm -hmm. so that you can get that shutter speed to be much slower. Uh, for videography, uh, you might be trying to shoot with a very wide open aperture in bright sunlight, but you want to have a slower shutter speed so that any motion doesn't appear jittery. Uh, it'll appear smoother. And so a neutral density filter can be used to create a slower shutter speed for video as well. There's tons of different examples as to why you might want to use it. But the basic idea is that it stops light from coming in if you have too much light in the scene that you're dealing with. Perfect. That's what I wanted. Thanks for, thanks for that explanation. No problem. All right. All right, guys. Let's move on quickly to the picks of the week. This is where you guys can pick anything to recommend to the This Week in Photo audience as long as it's somehow related to photography. Martin, what is your pick of the week? Yeah, okay, so this is one that um, I, I learned of this week. I'm not a big iPhoneographer. I, I use it more for, uh, I, I like the, the panorama features, and, I, and I'll use it for snapping stuff when, I'm, when I don't have my other camera with me or just to get GPS coordinations. But yeah. part of the reasons that I'm not a big user is that I just don't really like the camera on the phone. Um, but this week, a, a company that makes pro, a, an iPhone app called Pro Camera emailed me and uh, alerted me to their to their app and I've fallen in love with it it really really does work well it's it's just been updated and they've uh, you know it's just got everything that I thought I I might want to need use for a, a an iPhone camera gives you a lot of control it's even got a live histogram um so I'm I'm really really li liking this when you flip it over to horizontal you know from from lan landscape portrait all of the buttons flip around, they rotate, and it just it just works perfectly well. Um, I'm not going to go into all of the details about what it does. I'll probably do a review um, or at least a mini review on my blog at some point. Yeah, you um, should be looking at the but, site yeah. now. It's got a ton of features, even a built-in QR reader in this thing. Right. I mean, it's got the it's got the level, you know, so that you can tell whether you've got your camera, you've got it level or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, loads of stuff, um, and they, they've actually they've. I was going to save this for my own podcast, but thinking about it, they've actually given me um, six vouchers, six codes to oh, cool. get free copies. So if we can figure out a way for people to email, well, in, in fact, just, just drop me a line at, I don't know, info at martinbaileyphotography.com and tell me that you want a copy and I'll give, I'll give, a, uh, I'll give the six codes to the first six people. Um, you, wait, then, Martin, you mean the first five people, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm just kidding. Okay, we've got five codes to give away. Um, but literally, I mean, I think it's. In fact, you know what? So that I don't have to keep saying no, sorry, it's already gone. Let's. I'll, I'll create an email address called um, ProCamera at MartinBaileyPhotography.com, and then if you send an email to that and it bounces, you know that they've already gone. Perfect. So uh, yeah. I'll, I'll create that email address. Mail me at ProCamera at MartinBaileyPhotography.com and I'll send you a code. All right, cool. Well, I'm going to buy it tonight just to support these guys because you know, I know these developers don't work for free. And, Absolutely uh, not. So I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to buy this. It looks really, really cool. So thanks for that pick of the week. Okay. All right. Uh, and Mr. Don Komarechka, what's your pick of the week? Well, it's a, it's a little bit of an interesting box here. Um, this particular tool that I have in my hand for the audio listeners, wow. uh, it's a very obscure beige-looking box with a bunch of buttons and things on it. Uh, it's called the Camera Axe. And yeah. what this allows you to do is... I, just, I very... want it. I want it already. Just the way, <laughs> just looking at it, it's a box yeah. with a camera on it, and it has buttons. I want it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so w what it'll allow you to do is plug in various sensors and plug in either a camera trigger or a flash trigger or both, and it will allow the triggers to fire off the camera or the flash. And they sell a bunch of different triggers for it. I've got some that are little photo gates. I've got some that uh, based are, are based on sound, some that are based on light changes, uh, some that are you know lasers, and if something breaks a laser beam, it'll fire off the trigger. Uh, they've got a module that will allow you to time water droplet collisions and all these different fun stuff uh, with wow. you know uh, high-speed photography. And so it's a fun little, uh, little piece of equipment here. It doesn't cost a whole lot compared to what these things used to cost. And, uh, and I, I've just had a lot of fun with it. Oh, wait, uh, I haven't even used all of the sensors oh. that I got. Uh, it's it about 60 bucks. Uh, oh, that's, but, that's not bad, yeah. But, well, I mean, it's going to cost differently depending on the sensors that you want to buy. Right. Uh, some of the sensors alone, uh, like the water droplet collision sensor, uh, which isn't really a sensor, it's a little droplet thing, uh, costs about 60 bucks. So... Depending on what you're trying to do, it's going to cost more or less. But uh, I've I've enjoyed it. It's pretty easy to use. It um, you know they'll have updates with new sensors, and you can just update the firmware and use all sorts of different sensors that they keep coming out with. And uh, you can get really creative with this type of photography. So I implore everybody to go check that out if you are feeling creative and uh, you're sort of stuck in a rut. You know, I gotta I gotta pause just to say how cool and how privileged it is to be involved in such a amazing hobby slash profession as photography with all this cool stuff. Cause you know, a couple of weeks ago I had, um, Aaron Mailer on, we were talking about drone photography, you know, strapping cameras onto quadcopters and taking images. And we have these kind of sensors out there. We've got iPhone apps that let you do everything. I mean, it's just, how, what better hobby is there than the, than photography? It's just amazing. It's just yeah. amazing. There's so much to learn and so much to buy, unfortunately. Or you can not buy anything and still make cool stuff. It's amazing. I, I've actually just yeah. looked it up, Frederick. I was mistaken on the price. The sensors are around uh, $60 for some of them. There's a, a shield kit, like if you've got an Arduino, uh, it's, which is like a little uh, computer kit to build your own stuff. It costs yeah. 85 bucks. But if you want the, the fully enclosed, self-built self and self-working unit, then it's 185 But it's okay, well, so well worth it. Everything I just said back about photography being cool, I take it back. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff is too expensive. I'm going back to stamp collecting. <laughs> All right. So quickly, my, my pick of the week is from a, a frequent TWIP co-host, Dave Dugdale, who's the, the guy behind learningdslrvideo.com. And it was timely for me that he put this review out. So he's reviewing this thing. 
And for you folks that are listening to this podcast, I'm holding up the GoPro Hero 3, um, which is a new toy of mine that I, uh, I'm so excited to have and play with. But he did a Dave Dugdale-style, comprehensive, well-produced video review of this thing that if you are in any way, if you have a GoPro or if you're considering getting one, you cannot not watch this video. <laughs> so definitely check it out. Plus support Dave because he's on the show and he's just a just a genuinely good guy. And he knows what he's talking about. So we'll we'll hey, link to that. Go ahead. You, Go ahead, you know what? We, we've got. I, I want to say one thing. Um, I I actually I made the GoPro Hero Three my pick of the week a few mo- about a month or so ago, just before I went off to Hokkaido again. Yeah. Um, and I want to say one thing that a big caveat at the moment, you know, and I'm saying this here on the air because I want to put a fire under the people's at, uh, at GoPro's asses. Yeah. It freezes constantly. And I've got this with both of my cameras and I've got two GoPro Hero 3s and I, it, I've been using it with the battery backpack and literally the um, every two or three times you turn the camera on, It'll yeah. freeze, and the only way that you can stop it from freezing is to, or to unfreeze it, is to take it out of the waterproof housing, take the battery backpack off, and take the internal, take the internal, um, what is it, the internal battery out. Yeah. Now, I, it, when it works, initially I was so frustrated that I almost sent them back, but I, when it works, it's amazing, and I've got some really, really good footage that I'm about to use to put together a marking video from our um, from our Hokkaido tours. So I'm sticking with them because I believe that there's going to be a firmware update or something that will make it all right. But at yeah. the moment, there's there's still a very big problem with the Hero 3s that they need to adju- attend to. Yeah, um, I've seen that too. I've seen a lot of comments. And I'll, I'll tell you, once you, from my perspective, once I got it working... And and I still haven't completely got it working because this is the this is the whole, the GoPro Hero Three Black Edition that came with the yeah, Wi-Fi remote and all this Mark other stuff. Too. I haven't been able to properly get everything synced up yet, and I knew I knew it's great, and I've shot footage with it, and the footage is, looks amazing. So mm. the visual side of my brain is willing to forgive a certain amount. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and the food sucks, but the service is great. So you forgive the food, so it's kind of like, or vice versa. You know? yeah. So it's kind of, I'm kind of in that boat. Um, but yeah, I've seen, as I was doing my research online, trying to figure out different things about how to set up the Wi-Fi sync and all that, I mm. noticed there was like volumes of threads of people complaining about different things mm. about it. You mm. know? it but it, so, seemed, yeah. it seemed that once they got past it, they became evangelists. But it's walking over the hot coals to get to, okay, I got it working. Now I'm happy, you know, and I can make so images. I, I would like to be in that place, but until there's a firmware update, it literally it doesn't work. Um, a lot of the time, I, I lost whole, like, an hour of footage. I thought the, cam- I thought the camera was rolling, and I, I went back to it, and it had turned off just seconds after I turned it on. Oh, no. And, so I mean, I'm literally I was losing footage with it. I want to love the camera, and and I think that once they've got a firmware update out, I'll be that evangelist. Um, but at the moment, literally both of them, I've got two. I, I cancelled the order for the third because of the problems. Sure. I've got two with it. They're working great when they work, but every so often, and it's literally once or twice a day. If you're doing foot, doing movie through the day. Once or twice a day, the thing will freeze up, and there's no way to stop it apart from pulling the internal battery out. 
Mm. So it's it's you know there are problems with it still. And yeah. on the sync, the Wi-Fi, the remote that it comes with works really well, and you can you can actually get them all synced up and turn on multiple multiple ones with one oh, Wi-Fi. Okay. Okay. The problem the problem with the iPhone app is that they currently will only allow you to set to connect to one um one uh, one camera at a time. Right. So you literally have to you have to create different Wi-Fi networks and connect to them individually. And um, the the UI though is set up so that it will actually have multiple cameras will go in there and the word is is that they're working towards being able to connect to multiple cameras with one phone which is how it should work from the start right. um, but right. there are still there, there are teething problems it's a great camera it, the footage is amazing and it really isn't a cool concept but they they need to work on the firmware for the th- for the 3 be- before thought, they can i thought we normally you know as a as I get smarter, you know, and more knowledgeable about this stuff, I tend to wait before and not become an early adopter of technology. So I thought it was safe waiting for the Hero 3, you know. <laughs> that yeah. All of you early adopter settlers would have taken the arrows and I yeah. would have been okay to come in and move in and, and enjoy the fruits of your pain, but apparently mm. not. So well, I'm gonna, I think, I'll, I'll, give a, I'll give a report on this one, too. If I have those same problems, I'm, I'm yeah. vocal. So, <laughs> Well, um, I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to do a review on it on my website, and it's going to be accompanied by the, the video that I'm putting together with literally hours and hours of footage from Hokkaido over both tours. Oh, um, great. I want to watch and that. When, Definitely. And when I, when, I, when I put it out, it's going to be accompanied by, with a review, and that will... At the moment, it'll it'll sing all of its praises because it is a really really good camera. But there's this huge caveat that unless you're prepared to get very frustrated for a while, yeah. um, I'm just I'm just looking forward to the to the, <laughs> Martin, to the firmware update. Martin's review is it's a wonderful camera. Everything it does is great except create images. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is almost literally. It almost went over the side of the boat a number of times. It was. Oh so man! Crazy. Oh yeah. god! Okay. Well, thanks for raining on my parade, Martin. With your <laughs> <laughs> raining on my parade and my pick of the week. It's two yeah. with one stone. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, go ahead. Go ahead, Martin. I was just going to say, you know, in in England we say peeing on your fireworks. So that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to keep it a family show and keep our, our non-NC-17 rating, but thank you for ruining that as well, Mark. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm going to play with that. But, I, you know, the Dave Dugdale, uh, his, inter- his review of this thing, I haven't watched it yet because it's, it's lengthy, and I want to give it the proper time to sit down and just consume it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, now I'm really curious as to what he says and if he, if he corroborates what you're saying about the inconsistencies in the reliability of this thing so scary all right guys we are we are at the end of a show um with negative gopro sponsorship (laughs) so martin where would you like people to go to connect with you and and uh you know maybe find out about your workshops and all that magic uh, the, well, the workshops are at mbpworkshops.com, and everything is linked to the top page at, M- at martinbaileyphotography.com. Excellent. And Don Komarechka, where are you at online and in the ether? Find me at my website at uh, doncom.ca, D-O-N-K-O-M.ca. Uh, you'll find, of course, the, the information on the Snowflake book, which I uh, encourage you to check out, and my upcoming workshop at the Brooks Institute on macro photography, which yes. is going to be a lot of fun, and I think there's still a few spots left to that one, so check Excellent. it out. When is, when is that workshop again? End of April. End of April. I think I'm going to come down and hang out with you for that one. That'd be wonderful. 
So I'm always looking for a reason to come to Santa Barbara, so that'll be a good <laughs> good reason for me to take a coastal drive down from the Bay Area to Santa Barbara. We'll see you there. All right, I'll see you there. All right, guys, and uh, listeners, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check out This Week in Photo.com. And also remember to please join our Google Plus community. Like I said, starting with episode 300, week after next, we're going to be doing critiques of images. So post your images up there, and uh, we'll pick one and or two and critique it live on the Google Plus Hangout when we do the show. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at Frederick Van. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.